Hello, my name is Zoe and I'm going to be reading from the Bible from us this morning. We're reading from James chapter 2, which is found on page 855 of the Plain Bibles. You might have a different one. James chapter 2. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. You believe there is one God? Good. Even demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. 
you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Uh, Let's pray as we come to uh, consider this wonderful and challenging passage from God's word. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we want to thank and praise you so much for uh, the book of James. Uh, We thank you for the wisdom that it gives uh, based on your gospel. Uh, Father, we pray for ourselves that uh, we would be uh, men and women and uh, boys and girls who are humble and contrite in heart, that we tremble at your word. Uh, We pray, Father, that we would be seeking to know you and know your will better and to live lives that uh, give reflection uh, to your mercy to us. And we pray all these things now in Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you felt that you're not really welcome. You know, perhaps you've uh, turned up at a social gathering or some kind of a function and for whatever reason, and you're not quite sure, but um, people just seem to be a little bit chilly towards you and it seems that that no one cares and uh, maybe they don't even want you to be there. How would you feel? Now, you, uh, of course, may be a a very popular kind of person and uh, this may have never happened to you. But what if it did? How would you respond to that? How would you feel about it? A bit uncomfortable? A bit worthy, perhaps? Unworthy, perhaps? Or maybe it just wouldn't bother you at all. (laughs) You'd just stick around for the food uh, or just take off and go somewhere else. But the vibe you get is that you're just not welcome. What kind of person does God welcome? I mean, into friendship with himself. That's an important question, isn't it? Because the way that God welcomes and values people should actually shape the way that we welcome and value people. And last week in James chapter 1, we were challenged to, to keep ourselves from being polluted by the world. And the world, in Bible terms means the, uh, refers to the sinful values and the sinful behaviours of the world, which so often values people by how impressive they are, by what they've achieved, by what job they do, by how much money they have. It's not hard, is it? It's not hard even for us as Christians to value people in that same way. However, in James chapter 2, verse 1, we're told that that should not be true for us. That should not be true for us. Um, Have a look at uh, that in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. And while you're opening up your Bibles there, I'm just wondering if someone can give me the clicker um, for the slides that are coming up a bit later on in the sermon. As your, oh, there it is. Thank you. uh, I thought it had gone missing. But in chapter 2, verse 1, Let's have a look at what James says. He says, My brothers, 
as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Now, what does that mean? Well, when you think about it, um, he talks about he believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And when you consider the glory of Jesus, it actually involves a degree of being poor, a degree of being despised, a, a degree of being rejected, because Jesus himself uh, was born into, into a poor family. And Jesus himself... Uh, was despised and suffered death on a cross. And so how strange it would be for anyone who, who believes in Christ to value someone more, more highly because they are a somebody in the eyes of the world. And yet that is something which we can actually do. Uh, in verses 2 through to 4, uh, James describes a scenario which... Uh, which in our context might go something a little bit like this. Now, suppose that you are on the church welcoming roster one Sunday. And I'm, I hope that everyone here received a very warm welcome as you came through the door. We've got our best people on the job, John and Judith, uh, welcoming people. But suppose you are on the door uh, welcoming people one Sunday and a family arrives, mum, dad, three children, um, they're newcomers who, who you discovered, well, they've just moved into Port Macquarie because of a new job, uh, which turns out to be a professional position, which you know pays very well. They're looking for a new church and they're checking us out. So you warmly welcome them. <laughs> you encourage them to to stick around for morning tea afterwards so that you can introduce them to some other people and get to know them and so on, and you make sure that you go and you make sure that they find a really good seat uh, in the church. Which is exactly what our welcomers should do. In fact, it's exactly what the attitude that all of us should have towards everybody. <laughs> Because the next person to arrive is somewhat different. Someone who looks like they're struggling a bit. Uh, in James's scenario, it's a poor man in shabby clothes. But it, it could be something else about him or her or them which is less than impressive. And the welcome given is less than convincing. In the passage... It's a rich man and a poor man who may, by the way, not necessarily be newcomers. They may actually be members of the church. James doesn't uh, spell that out uh, explicitly. His point is that the rich man is warmly welcomed whilst the poor man is made to feel not valued. Not valued. And so in verse 4, James poses the question... Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And the answer to the question, of course, is yes. Because we've made the judgment, haven't we? We've made the judgment that someone who is more valuable in, to, in the world is also more valuable to God and to us. We've made the judgment that someone who is less valuable to the world is less valuable to God 
and to us. As if the soul of a rich man is worth more than the soul of a poor man. Evil thoughts, says James. Evil thoughts. Now, of course, you don't have to be a Christian to um, believe in equality, <laughs> that all people should be treated equal. There are lots of non-Christians who believe that and uh, that uh, all people should be treated well, especially poor people. But as Christians, we have got an even greater reason to do so. Check it out in verse 5. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? What's James saying? He's saying, open your eyes. Have a look at the churches. Check out the people that God has called. You see, God has not necessarily, he hasn't filled the churches with rich and powerful people, has he? No, he's, he's filled the churches, he's called all sorts of people to put their trust in Jesus. And most of whom are actually not wealthy or impressive. Uh, in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, God chooses, God chooses those who are weak and who are lowly in the eyes of the world to become his children. And that, of course, actually makes a very important statement about the gospel, doesn't it? That our salvation does not depend on our strength or our wealth or our status, but on his mercy alone. Rich man, poor man, the only way that either can be saved is through Jesus. This is, uh, this is good news, isn't it? for the poor and for the rich. But you, says James, have insulted the poor, which is the very opposite to displaying the character of God. And besides, uh, to discriminate in favour of the rich doesn't even make any worldly sense. Uh, check out verses 6 and 7. James says, Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him who, to whom you belong? Now, there are many godly Christians who are rich. Um, men and women who, who use their wealth, use their assets to, to serve God and to be generous to others. And, and there were wealthy Christians in the New Testament churches. So... James here is not attacking the rich, but because of their position and their power, it tended to be rich people who persecuted Christians and who slandered God. Um, like uh, some of the rich religious leaders, the, the Sadducees, uh, or the, um, the chief men of, of cities who... who, uh, who who dragged the Christians into courts or the businessmen in Ephesus who started a riot against the Christians. Persecuting Christians and blaspheming God. So why would you be more welcoming to someone purely on the basis of their wealth? 
purely by the fact that they are rich doesn't make sense. Although someone might say, well, should, shouldn't we be warmly welcoming the rich person? I mean, isn't, isn't that called loving your neighbour? Isn't the rich person my neighbour? Isn't that obeying the Old Testament law? Well, in verses 8 to 10, James says yes, but no. Not if at the same time you are judging someone else as being unworthy of a warm welcome. You see, who is worthy of God's welcome? Is the rich man worthy? No. Is the poor man worthy? No. Are you and I worthy? No. In fact, what is the one thing that we are all worthy of? Judgment. But what we have received is not judgment, but mercy. Mercy from God who sent his son Jesus to die for our sins so that no matter who we are, rich or poor, important or nobody, popular or rejected, we are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, before I became a Christian, I, as I reflect, I, I think it's true to say that I struggled uh, with not always feeling accepted and sometimes uh, trying too hard in order to gain acceptance. And uh, I suggest that that's uh, you know, something which is the case for a lot of young people. But when I heard the gospel, I, I, was, I was changed. I was changed by the knowledge that the God of the universe, that he actually loved me, that he accepted me as I was. And so too, as I discovered, did his people as I joined a church. And it was great to be a part of a church where the only basis of acceptance was being a sinner who's been saved by Jesus. Where I, when no one was trying to outdo anyone else, where I didn't have to try to impress anyone to, to be friends because the only basis is Jesus and the mercy of God. Because as you see in verse 13, the title of this sermon, mercy triumphs over judgment. And so why would we judge anyone as being somehow second class, not wealthy enough, or attractive enough, or important enough for us? That's like, that's kind of like, it's like knowing the gospel in your head, but not in your life, not in who you are, not in how you behave. It's like, Claiming to have faith without deeds. Now, I love the Peanuts comics, if you remember those. I know this is an oldie, but it's a goodie, I reckon. And there is poor Snoopy. Can, you, can anyone see poor Snoopy there? He's out in the, out in the snow. Uh, he's got no warm clothes. 
He's freezing cold, isn't he? And then comes along Charlie Brown and, and Linus. They're all, all rugged up, aren't they? Snoopy looks kind of cold, doesn't he? Says Charlie Brown. I'll say he does, replies Linus. Maybe we should go over and comfort him. Go over and comfort him. Be of good cheer, Snoopy. <laughs> yes, be of good cheer. As they walk away. <laughs> Leaving poor Snoopy, still freezing cold, but now to add to his troubles, also very, very confused. <laughs> um, Charles Schultz, who wrote uh, the Peanuts comics, was a Christian man who uh, peppered his cartoons with... Bible messages. Um, this one, of course, is from James chapter 2, where in verse 14, James says, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You see, someone might claim that there's two types of Christians. That, uh, that uh, there are some Christians who have faith, uh, whilst there are other Christians who have deeds. How would you describe that kind of faith? Sort of Charlie Brown faith, isn't it? It's not real, it's... It's useless. It's just as useless as Charlie Brown and Linus telling Snoopy to be of good cheer and leaving him in the cold. You see, anyone can say that they believe in God and even mean it. Um, but in verse 19, even, even demons believe that there is one God and they shudder at the thought. But true faith will always be evidenced by action. Not convinced of that, says James? Well, in verses 20 through to 26, he gives two examples of people in the Old Testament whose faith was evidenced by their actions. And the first, they're very different kind of people, actually. The first example is the type of person who might very warmly be received by those who show favouritism, uh, he is the great father of the faith, Abraham, who uh, when God promised uh, to give him a son, he trusted God. He trusted God's promise. And by the, on that basis, he was declared to be righteous. And he trusted God's promise, even though, humanly speaking, it, it seemed to be impossible that at his age and at his wife's age that they could bear a son. Fifteen years later, Isaac was born. And then when Isaac himself was 15 years old, God told Abraham to do the unthinkable, to sacrifice his dearly beloved son, which Abraham proved that he was prepared to do. Now, God, of course, stopped him before he did. Although God, it might be said, gave up his own son, didn't he? 
um, for us. But Abraham's faith in being willing to give up his own son was proven to be true. His, his faith, rather, in trusting in God's word, God's promise, was proven to be true by his action. And secondly, James gives a very different example. <laughs> someone who, uh, quite the opposite to Abraham, someone who might very well be not welcomed by those who judge people. A Gentile woman who was a prostitute, a prostitute, but who trusted in God. And when some Israelite spies went to the city of Jericho where she lived, she protected them. And by so doing, her faith was proven to be true by her action. Whereas faith without works, without action, is useless. In fact, it's worse than useless. In verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead... So faith without deeds is dead. It's like a corpse. It's dead. It's like the person who, who claims to have faith in Jesus but has not embraced the mercy of God. And when we don't uh, truly embrace the mercy of God, then we will value people not as God does but as the world does by how impressive they are, by their status, by their wealth, by their looks. Whereas true faith is blind to such things and leads us to love and to care for people no matter who they are, rich or poor, important or nobodies, because that is how God in Christ has valued us. Many years ago, a man um, started to come along to church here uh, who was different. He was, he was very different to all of us, including myself, uh, in a way in which I confess made me feel personally very uncomfortable to be with him. But as I recalled God's mercy uh, to me uh, in the gospel, I um, made an effort and I spent time with him. And I got to know a man who had exper experienced terrible, um, sad and tragic things in his life which had shaped him and given him the personality that, that he had. But I also found a man who had discovered love, hope, and courage in the gospel of Jesus. And I'm sure, I'm absolutely certain, that I ended up learning a whole lot more from him than he ever learned from me. What about now? What about us? It's worth getting to know each other, isn't it? And it's worth asking, asking ourselves the question, is there someone in church who 
I don't normally talk to or connect with because, well, they're just, they're just different to me. I'm sort of out of my comfort zone in doing so. I make a decision based on the kindness and mercy of God and the way God values people to connect with that person, to talk with that person, to have a chat, to get to know them, to love them. It's worth asking the question or looking around, well, are there people in the church here who have needs? Is there someone here that has a need that I could help with to visit the person, to see them in hospital, to to cook a meal for them, to have them around for a meal, to, to offer them a lift to church, and then do it. For as it has well been said by someone much more famous than me, John Calvin, that we are saved by faith alone. But the faith which saves is never alone. It is always accompanied by actions because mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we've not always um, valued people in the same way that you do. And yet as we reflect on our own sin, our own unworthiness, and how in Christ you have been merciful to us, Father, how could we not be welcoming and merciful to any other person? How could we make it more difficult to be accepted by us than it is to be accepted by you? Father, work in our minds and our hearts, change us, that we would be people who are known not just for our faith, but our faith would be real, that it would be evidenced by our actions, which reflect your kindness, your mercy, and your grace. Amen.